Welcome to the Missio Day podcast. Missio Day is a family of Jesus, joining God as he makes all things new in Chicago. Check us out online at missiodaychicago.com. So I'm just excited to, to share a little bit and unpack the word of God together. But here we are in the final week through our series in the book of Ephesians. Melissa's gonna do a little bonus episode next week and keep us kind of trucking with these themes. But this is our last week through the book of Ephesians. You may be saying, oh, thank God, I'm ready to move on to a different part of the Bible. Or you may be saying, I had no idea they were in a series on the book of Ephesians. But throughout this letter that Paul the apostle wrote to the church in Ephesus, we've been seeing Uh, Paul has encouraged the Ephesians and he's encouraged us really to live into our identity as Christ followers in this thing called the local church. Paul uh, has pointed out that in the midst of a hurting and broken world, we need to see a new picture of a compelling community that's built on unity rather than uniformity, that's built on generosity rather than greed, that's built on mutual submission rather than the abuse of power. But time and time again, Paul has reminded the church in Ephesus and us, of course, that we cannot become this kind of community through sheer willpower alone. No, only God can cultivate this kind of countercultural community. We need the Holy Spirit to give us a fresh perspective, to renew us, to renew our minds, and to empower us to live as light in the darkness, right? To to become the kind of people who in our very lives together can embody peace, love, sacrifice, kindness, and all the other fruit of the Spirit. Becoming this kind of community requires active participation on our part to join with the Holy Spirit at work within us and around us. And last week, we discussed one of the primary ways that we can join the Holy Spirit in this kind of work, by putting on the whole armor of God. This idea of the armor of God, as Paul talks about this, he's not um, trying to incite some sort of violence by using military language, but rather he's reminding us that the very real, earthy, everyday struggles that we face are at the end of the day, spiritual. Now that doesn't make them any less real, but it means that the only way that we can actually overcome them is with a spiritual life that matters for our everyday life. Hence why the armor of God is not made up of what we might consider culturally valuable things, right? Like wealth, productivity, or popularity, but with spiritual fruit, truth, righteousness, peace, faith, salvation, the very word of God living within us. When we join with God the Holy Spirit to produce these fruit in our lives, they become for us sort of like an armor against the the, the world, against the things that the evil one wants to scheme and devise uh, evil against us, right? So, We've come to this place. We've put on the armor of God, right? Now we should be ready to fight the battle. So isn't Paul going to tell us to get going, get out there and fight? Well, not exactly. Paul uh, instructs us to put on the armor of God and to stand against evil, but he brings this whole thing to a conclusion with an instruction not to fight, not a rally cry, but with a simple exhortation to pray. So let's reread the verses that Kelly read for us, verses 18 to 20, and see Paul's invitation here. 
says, and pray in the spirit on all occasions and with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. I want to spend uh, the rest of our time together here just unpacking these verses a little bit. And one of the first things we see, whenever you see repetition in the New Testament or Old Testament, it's usually a good sign that you should pay attention. Repetition is a way of kind of doubling down, really trying to prove a point. And in just three short verses, Paul instructs the Ephesians to pray six times. So that's two times per verse. He's trying to make himself abundantly clear that prayer is an integral part of the spiritual struggles that we face. So I want to talk about prayer this morning, but I don't think any of us need to hear another sermon that's just guilting us to pray more. We all know that we should pray for pray more, right? The question that I think many of us face is not if we should pray. We know we should. The question is how should we pray? Thankfully, Paul can help us with that as well. He not only tells the Ephesians to pray, but he also adds a few qualifiers, a few ways to pray that can guide them as they figure out the specifics of what this looks like. So for the sake of our time today, I want us to look at three specific invitations from Paul for how to pray in the spirit. So he instructs the Ephesians to pray in the spirit, one, on all occasions, two, with all kinds of prayers, and three, for all the Lord's people. So three different alls, another little repetition there that Paul uses to uh, really prove his point. So we're going to unpack and take a deeper look at each of these. So first, Paul invites the Ephesians and us to pray in the spirit on all occasions, Just like he had done earlier uh, in the letter 1 Thessalonians, Paul instructed the church to pray without ceasing. You've probably heard this, to pray without ceasing. He's once again reminding the Ephesians that he wants us to see, to break down this idea that prayer only happens when we sit down and set aside time to pray, to sit down and talk with God. Rather, we can pray on all occasions, to pray unceasingly. It's It's an opportunity to see all of life as prayer. This requires a wider, more expansive view of prayer. This is something more than just talking to God or even listening to God, but it's seeing prayer as as an opportunity to be with God. Think of the people that you're in the closest relationships with, a friend or a family member or maybe a spouse or partner. Early on in the relationship, you probably spent most of your time together talking. You felt the need to fill those awkward silences You feel the need to ask another get-to-know-you question. But as the relationship grows deeper and deeper, it's easier to just be together. You can go on a road trip, and you don't have to fill the entire time in the car with talking. You can just drive in the silence. You can be in the same room together, sitting in opposite corners, reading different books, or doing your thing. The ability to be silent together is a really good sign of a healthy relationship. The same is true for our relationship with God. 
But another layer that Paul adds to this idea of praying on all occasions is really the fact that for many of us, we only pray when things aren't going so well. We turn to God in moments of need or or times of pain, which we absolutely should do. But when things seem to be going well for us, well, prayer is nowhere to be found. Some of us face the opposite problem, right? When life gets difficult, we feel so so distant from God that prayer is almost impossible, right? One of the things I find interesting here as Paul wraps up this letter as he reminds the Ephesians that he was writing this from a prison cell. And it's even there, in the midst of hardship and humiliation, this difficult, this low point in his life, Paul calls himself an ambassador of the gospel. His life could remain prayerful and powerful because he knew deep in his bones that even in that hard place, even if his circumstances didn't change, right, he knew that God was with him in that prison cell, and therefore his life could be a life of prayer. Praying on all occasions simply means that we view all of life, the good times and the hard times, as opportunities to talk, to listen, and to be with God. So the second all that Paul says is to pray in the spirit with all kinds of prayers. But I actually want to circle back to that one last. I want to go a little bit out of order here and do the third one now. So sorry if that confuses you. But the third all is found in the second half of verse 18. And Paul says this, with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Keep on praying for all the Lord's people. We need to remember that this letter was written to a particular local church at a particular time and place. And the focus for them has been on how do we live this Christian life together in community, right? Easier said than done because in this community, there were some folks who were Gentiles, born and raised with the values of secular Ephesus, trying to find unity with Jews who knew the Proverbs like the back of their hand, recited the, the, the scriptures, right? They knew the moral law and, and the Ten Commandments commandments like no one else, right? And so these two groups of people were about as different from one another as you can get. So when Paul instructs them to pray, to pray for all the Lord's people, he's telling them to pray for the people in their community, the people they know by name, the friends that they, that they have relationships with and eat dinner with and, and gather with, and the people who aren't so friendly and the people who they wouldn't consider best buds or the ones who aren't so fun to be around. Just like Jesus, right, instructed us to pray for our enemies. He's not saying to pray for some vague person out there who you don't really know, but the actual people who have become like an enemy to you, the people who annoy you, who grind you down, the people who you find most difficult to love. So when Paul instructs them to pray for all the Lord's people, he's telling them to pray for these people that they know, these saints that are in their midst, right? Other translations call, uh, translate this verse to pray for all the saints. And when we read the word saints in the New Testament, we're not reading about some especially holy or people who have done crazy, magnificent things in their lives or who have never sinned. We're just reading about everyday followers of Jesus. Just people who follow Jesus are referred to as saints in the scriptures because that is how God sees everyone who has chosen to live in Jesus. So praying for all the saints means beginning 
right here, right now, in this room with the people sitting around you, with the people near you, and then moving outward to the saints all around the world. And that kind of sounds easy, like, oh, okay, I'll pray for this person I know, but it's actually a really difficult task to pray for people who you actually know. I found this quote from Eugene Peterson really helpful. He says, it's always easier to pray for people we don't know, who we, who we don't have to deal with, than to pray for those in our own congregation and home. That's, it's one thing for us to maybe print out a world map and pray for people in Thailand who we don't know or people in Ethiopia who we don't know, which we should absolutely be doing that, hear me. But it's another thing to, to, to pray for people who we actually know in our own congregation or even our own home. What about that one person who I avoid because I know they vote differently from me in certain elections? What about that person in my small group who just irks me because they always dominate the conversation every every single week? What about that roommate who just never seems to get around to doing the dishes? Can I get an amen? (laughs) Um, Don't say amen too loudly. I don't want any of your roommates to to get upset. You know, it's a little passive aggressive. Um, And maybe for that person, you need to do a little more than just pray for them. You need to kind of tell them, hey, I I need you to do your part here. Um, But seriously, Praying for one another, the people who we actually know, who who actually irk us, who actually have have hurt us, or who we have hurt, uh, it brings about a kind of unity that is impossible without the power of the Holy Spirit. And Paul adds another layer here in verse 19 that I find to be really helpful. Sometimes we just gloss over it. But uh, in verse 9, he says, pray also for me. Pray also for me. Of course we know we need to pray for others, and and even though sometimes that can be more difficult, but to ask for prayer, to, to come to each other and say, pray also for me, it actually requires a lot of vulnerability and humility. It requires being open with what's going on in your actual life and saying, I need help here. I need help from God. I need help from you. But like Paul, we need to be humble enough and willing to acknowledge that we're all companions on the same level when it comes to our life together in God, right? There's no hierarchy of holiness to separate us one from another when it comes to prayer and asking for help. We all need help and we all need prayer. So I find Paul's willingness to say, pray also for me. I mean, they saw him as a spiritual leader over their community, but he was willing to say, I need prayer. So we talked about praying on all occasions and praying for all the Lord's people. Now, let's circle back to that one I skipped earlier, right? To pray with all kinds of prayer. So in order to pray in the Spirit on all occasions and for all the Lord's people, we need to become fluent in all kinds of prayer. Like I've already said, this requires an understanding of prayer that's more than simply making requests to God, but something more like how the philosopher Dallas Willard defined prayer. Listen to this, it's so simple. He says, prayer is talking with God about what we are doing together. Prayer is talking with God about what God and I and this community are doing together. Do you see the difference there? Yes, it involves talking with God, but the focus is on talking with God about what God and I are doing together. It's about my life with God. And all of life can be prayer because God is with us at all times. Here's Eugene Peterson again on this expansive view of prayer. 
He says, prayer is not just saying prayers, although it is also that. As we grow into maturity, prayer is the language that increasingly underlies and suffuses all of our language. Not all prayers are conscious. Not all prayers can be identified as prayers. Most of us pray a good deal more than we are aware that we are praying. But it does not always sound or appear or feel religious. So Peterson's view of prayer makes space for all kinds of prayer, as Paul instructed. Things like intercessory prayer or conversational prayer. Things like silent prayer and contemplative prayer. Breath prayer, walking prayer, imaginative prayer. And the list could go on and on. All of these forms of prayer are available to us as means by which we can do what Paul said to do. To pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. But a key phrase that we must not miss in this instruction to pray is to pray in the spirit, right? Paul said to pray in the spirit. What's the difference between a life full of prayer and a life without prayer? Well, it's an awareness of the Holy Spirit and an awareness of the presence of the Holy Spirit. Simply put, anything can be prayer, so long as it deepens our awareness of God, the Holy Spirit, in our lives. Today, as you've noticed with the call to worship and the scripture reading that Aaron did, uh, is the day of Pentecost. The church looks back and remembers this day when the Holy Spirit filled the church in Acts, like Aaron read for us. But we don't simply remember that historic event, as powerful and beautiful as it was. We also celebrate that each and every believer here today is filled with the Holy Spirit right here and right now, in the same way the church in Acts was filled with the Holy Spirit. Like it says in 1 Corinthians, we are temples of the Holy Spirit. The, the, the believers used to have to go to the temple to, to find the presence of God, to dwell with God's presence, but now you and I are temples. You and I are filled with the very presence of the Holy Spirit of God. And this is very good news for our praying lives. We don't have to wonder about how we can get access to God. We don't have to say any magic words to try and make God listen to us. No, God is closer than the very air that we breathe and the air that is all around us. God, the Holy Spirit, lives within us. This is something that Paul references in his letter to the church in Rome. He was writing about how difficult it can be to pray, right? Especially in seasons of pain, seasons of suffering, these long seasons when our prayers don't seem like they're being answered or we just can't find the words to say anymore. We're tired and we're weak. But it's actually Actually, in that very moment, when we can lean on the Holy Spirit, hear this from Romans 8, 26 and 27. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we ought. But that very Spirit intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And God, who searches hearts, knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Let me repeat verse 26. The Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we ought, but the very Spirit intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Sometimes prayer is as simple as trusting that the Spirit is praying for us without words, right? I take great comfort in that 
I don't know about you, I don't have to know exactly what to say or how to say it, right? I don't have to muster up some experience of feeling God's presence. I don't have to convince God to do what I think God should do. I can simply allow the spirit who lives in me to pray for me. And not only that, to pray for all the saints. It says the spirit intercedes for the saints. So maybe there's someone in your life or in your community and you're just like, God, I don't even know what to pray for them anymore. I thought this was your will, but it's not happening. It's not going the way we thought it should. Maybe just press in and say, God, I'll I'll allow the spirit to pray in me for that person. So yes, prayer is absolutely talking to God and bringing requests to him, but it is so much more than that. Prayer is talking to God. Prayer is listening to God. Prayer is simply being with God. And when we begin to understand and live this way of prayer, we can see what Paul meant when he said to pray without ceasing, to pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and for all the Lord's people. I know that thinking of all of life as prayer can kind of make it difficult to know like, well, how do I know when I'm praying or when I'm not praying? How do I know when God's with me or it just, it feels like God's not with me. This feels kind of vague and abstract. I'd rather just sit down and spend time in prayer. And we should absolutely do that. That is absolutely necessary to uh, our prayer lives. But Um, I want to close with a poem that has really helped me see uh, how everyday life things, just normal everyday life stuff can be for me a way to listen to God or a way to speak to God. So this is a poem called How I Talk to God, and it's written by Kelly Belmonte. Coffee in one hand, leaning in to share, listen, how I talk to God. Mama, you're special. Three-year-old touches my cheek, how God talks to me. While driving, I make lists, done, do, hope, love, hate, try, how I talk to God. Above the highway, hawk, high, alone, free, focused, how God talks to me. Rash, impetuous chatter followed by silence, how I talk to God. First, second, third, fourth chance to hear, then another, how God talks to me. Fetal position under flannel sheets, weeping, how I talk to God. Moonlight on pillow, tending to my open wounds, how God talks to me. Pulling from my heap of words, the ones that mean yes, how I talk to God. Infinite connects with finite, without words, how God talks to me. These simple everyday life examples of prayer that we find in this poem for me are really powerful. Everything from driving and making to-do lists to coffee dates and silence can be for us a form of prayer. And I knew this morning as I began kind of thinking of saying these things, I'm like, we could talk about prayer for so long. We could do a 10 million sermon series and we'd never even scratch the surface of what the depths of prayer can be. But what the saints throughout history remind us is that the primary way we learn about prayer is not by talking about prayer or even reading about it, but it's, it's by doing it. We learn to pray by praying.
praying. So we're actually gonna do something a little bit different with just a few moments of our time and set aside a little space right now to pray together. And I know this is different than how we often do church, um, but I wanna invite you, if you wanna, if you feel more comfortable kind of spreading out, moving around the room, you can feel free to do that. If you'd like to kneel, if you'd like to stand, whatever for you feels like a prayerful posture right now, there's a lot of room in the back, there's room to the sides here, uh, go ahead and feel free to just get up and, and, and move around and I'll kind of lead us as we enter into this space. I think we have about four minutes to just enter into prayer together. So go ahead and find a comfortable, prayerful position. Move around the room if you want to. And I'm gonna lead us through just two prayer prompts. You don't have to do both of them. Just pick one uh, and, and focus in on that. Whichever one just resonates, just pick that one and go and pray for the next four minutes. So as we enter into prayer now, just begin by becoming aware of your breath. Take a few deep breaths as you breathe in deeply and breathe a long exhale. As you breathe in, remember that God is closer than the air we breathe. The Holy Spirit is already within us. We don't have to muster up God's presence. We don't have to convince God to come and be with us. God promises that when two or three of us are gathered, God is in our midst. Just take a couple more deep breaths. It's where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Just receive that spirit afresh now. I'm gonna read these prompts over us and when you're ready, you can open your eyes and look at the screen. They'll be there as well. But the first prompt is, is there someone that you sense God leading you to pray for? Maybe someone in this community or someone you know. Just spend a few moments now praying for them. But don't just pray. Also, as you pray, ask God, is there something I can do for that person? Is there, are you inviting me to reach out and ask them to get lunch or coffee? Are you inviting me to bless them in some way? So if someone comes to mind, just spend some time praying and asking God how you can bless that person. And then secondly, like the poem said, have you recently noticed something that has become how God talks to you? or maybe how you talk to God. Just invite the Holy Spirit now to bring to mind any ways that you and God have spoken to one another or been present to one another recently, even if it was without words. So take a moment now, just find one of those prompts, and the next three minutes are ours to pray. Holy Spirit, guide us as we pray.
we thank you for the way you're with us just in our everyday lives, just your presence, that we get to be living uh, temples of the, of the Holy Spirit. We thank you for that. And we thank you that because of that, every moment of our lives can be a moment of prayer. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. We love to keep the conversation going. Find a weekly gathering or gospel community in a neighborhood near you. To find out more, check us out online at missiodechicago.com.